there, and I'll get the tissues. Thank you, Doug. Uh, good morning. My name is Pat. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 6th, 1989. My home group is the Overland Park Fellowship Group in Overland Park, Kansas. Um, I have a sponsor who goes to the Overland Park Fellowship Group, and he has a sponsor who goes to the Overland Park Fellowship Group, and he has a sponsor who sometimes shows up at the Overland Park Fellowship Group. He's, really what he does is none of my business. Uh, and I'm extremely thrilled to be standing in front of you all this morning. Um, Todd, thanks for inviting me. Uh, there's no good reason that Todd would have ever invited me to come speak at the Winter Conference. Um, and thanks to the committee for all your hard work in, in putting on this great conference. Um, I'd like to thank my mother who hosted me here in town uh, <clears throat> this weekend for allowing me to stay in her house. And for coming here this morning. Um, there's no doubt that I would not be here. If it wasn't for my mom, I guarantee you that. <laughs> and I'm not talking about all the way back. I'm just... <clears throat> um, we were we had a great great night last night at, at Chris and Cameron's house. Um, had a great dinner. Got to meet the other speakers. Got to meet some of the folks on the committee I hadn't met before, um, and just got to visit. Um, and uh, got to ride home with mom. Country music blaring on the stereo, uh, <clears throat> driving too fast and having a good time. And and uh, and I said to mom, I said, you know, it's a it's a long way from uh, from where we were in uh, in early 1989 when uh, when I went through uh, an outpatient treatment down in Cincinnati. Um, and uh, on Wednesday nights was family night, and mom would drive down from Dayton. For family night, <clears throat> because because I asked if she would, and she did, uh, and we'd go to dinner beforehand, and, and she'd had to sit there <clears throat> treatment before she was, you know, getting to to come to terms, I guess, or whatever, with the fact that that her 23 year old baby boy was alcoholic. <laughs> um, <clears throat> a long way. It's a long way from there, and you and you just can't get you can't get here from there. You just can't. Um, and I didn't even, and I didn't even appreciate what she was doing at the time that she was doing it, you know. And that's probably the story of my life more than anything. <laughs> um, I don't appreciate what you all do, um, and I just take and <clears throat> um, we'll see what happens here. I, uh, I I love the Miami Valley Winter Conference when uh, I guess it was probably Judy came, you know, started talking to me about it. Ten years ago, or something like that. <clears throat> Maybe we could do something. Maybe we could put on a conference because um, we're kind of, you know, we were both fans of AA and Al conferences. Um, but that whole going away for the whole weekend and everything, and the money for the hotel rooms and all that, it seemed that we knew people who, who maybe found that to be kind of a hardship, especially folks with families and kids and all that. And, and maybe maybe we could do something where we could do a conference in a day. Could we do a conference in a day? Could we have AAs and Al-Anons talk together? And could we invite an Alateen to come speak? And, and could we pull that off? And would anybody come? And would anybody be interested in doing it? You know. And uh, and we started meeting at, at, at some folks' houses, and we started talking about it and looking into it. And and uh, and here we are, you know, nine years later, and, and, and the Miami Valley Winter Conference seems to me, thank you, Daryl, Seems to me to be a part of what goes on in, in AA and Al-Anon in Dayton every winter, you know. 
Um, and that's that's a treat. That's just that's exciting. Um, I'm just I'm grateful to get to have been a part of it. Um, <clears throat> I had my first drink when I was 12 years old. Um, grew up down the road here in Centerville, pretty much, and um, and we had had a half a day of school that day, and. Uh, we were going to run around like 12-year-old boys do, and we ended up in one of the boys' basements. Um, <clears throat> and somebody pulled out a bottle of whiskey. And today's activity was going to be drink from the bottle of whiskey. That's what we're going to do today. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't have any opinions about drinking from a bottle of whiskey, really. Um, but if the other kids were doing it, I wasn't going to not do it. That was the kind of kid I, I was, you know. So... Um, so I took it, didn't ask anybody, you know, is this a good idea? Should we really be here doing this? Uh, just took it. And, and, I, and I remember taking that drink from that bottle of whiskey. <clears throat> and, and, and that affected me. It felt like nothing had ever felt going into my body before. Um, it was warm. And it kind of burned my throat going down and it hit my stomach. And it just kind of filled me up with this warm glow instantly. I mean, instantly. Just whoo! I was like, "Yeah, I like that." And that bottle went around that guy's pool table, and it came back around to me, and I hit it again. And 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 before that time, I'd get with this same group of guys, and I wouldn't feel enough. I wouldn't feel like I quite fit in with them. I didn't. I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good looking enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't whatever a twelve-year-old boy needed to be. I wasn't, and I wasn't conscious of that stuff. I thought just was just because that's just the way I was. I just didn't feel like I fit in. But something about that stuff that was in that bottle, I felt like I fit in. I felt like I was a part of this group of these guys, and we were having this great experience together. And I don't really know that all of us were having the same great experience together, but I was experiencing something pretty miraculous with that with that stuff. And every time it came around, I decided I was going to hit that bottle, and and it just got better. And I had a wonderful twelve-year-old boys first drunk experience ran around and did all sorts of stuff and played games and 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 i was quite sure i just did it all a little bit better than i'd ever done it before um and and i thought i think i'll do that again whenever the opportunity presents itself and i didn't pursue it from there on but but when it but when the opportunity came about i was willing to, to do that again and a year later a kid was standing out in the woods outside the middle school and said you know hey come here and i said okay um, and, 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 and he had a, a little cigarette thing and he offered that to me and, and I didn't ask him, you know, what, what all was, would happen here or anything. And I said, okay. And I tried that and that really, you know what, that didn't do for me what that bottle of whiskey had done for me. Um, I thought, huh, that's, that's okay if you want to do that. But I wasn't really into all that. Um, I wouldn't have turned it down again, you know, you know, you force it on me or whatever, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the same effect at all. Uh, which, looking back on it, tells me that there's something different about me, that alcohol affected me in a, in a way that, that that other stuff didn't. And, and that, was pretty much the, that was pretty much my experience for the next 10 or so years. Um, I, don't have a whole, I don't have any pat stories I can tell you about my drinking uh, that would maybe convince you that I'm alcoholic or not. Um, I remember being 16 or 17, and, and, and grew up going to a church down the road from here and, and uh, playing on the church basketball team. And the church basketball coach got married one, uh, one Saturday and, and had a wedding reception 
somewhere kind of far away from our house. And, and anything like outside a five-mile radius was far away from our house, you know. Um, and, and one of the guys from church there, we went to this guy's, to the coach's wedding reception anyways, where he had an open bar. Um, and I think that was probably my first experience with an open bar. And, and, and within a, a very short period of time, I had a significant stack of cups in, in front of me that I don't think the other kids at the wedding reception had. And, and I can tell you that the other kids at the reception didn't end up a short time after that in the stall next to me on their knees, holding their tie out of the way, you know, puking their guts up. Uh, but, but that's what happened to me. You know, it seemed like a good idea to take advantage of the open bar, and nobody seemed to be telling me not to. <clears throat> and that was, that's like, if you're not telling me not to, then basically you're granting me permission to do it. It's the way I, way I live. Um, <clears throat> so, so I hit the open bar, and, and, and one was good, and, and two was better, and three was, was really good, and, and four and five, and, and I don't know how many. And, uh, and my attitude was always that if you were counting, you were probably wasting time counting when you should have been paying more attention to your drinking anyways. Um, but it, it seemed to have affected me <clears throat> more and, and differently than it did the other guys from the church basketball team. And, uh, and, and my, my, my good friend phoned home that night, um, to tell my mother that I that we'd be a little bit late that, that that I would have called, but I was having too much fun dancing that I couldn't call at the time. My mom didn't buy that that I was having too. She knew, you know, she had an idea of what was going on. Um, I was having way too much fun on the floor in the bathroom, um, and 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 she. I, I remember her. You know, I remember getting home that night and 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 being so drunk and and. And sloppy, and uh, and I remember her waking me up bright and early the next morning and making me go to church on one of my very first hangover mornings. Um, and I think I actually got elected to the church vestry that morning, um, and, and, which you know is kind of the deal, right? So I got away with that one as far as I was concerned. Um, but that was. The, 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 the essence of my drinking is that, that, that when I drink, I don't seem to be able to control the amount that I'm going to drink. Um, that I start and something seems to happen to me. And it's something that doesn't happen to all my friends that I drink with. Uh, a craving kicks in. And, and I can't control the amount that I'm going to take. And I can't tell you when I'm going to stop drinking. Um, <clears throat> and, and when I want to stop, I don't seem to be able to stay stopped. Um, that's that's the essence of me and alcohol and alcohol and, and what I believe makes me alcoholic is the craving. Um, normal drinkers don't experience the craving. Some of those kids that were standing around that pool table may be in this room this morning. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but <clears throat> at least one of those kids may be in this room this morning. And that alcohol may have affected him the way it affected me. Uh, but those other guys didn't experience that craving. And, and, and I believe it hit me that, that first day. I really do. I believe it hit me that first day. And I, you know, that's just the way I, you know, that it affected me differently. And I drank for the effect produced by alcohol. Um, without alcohol and with no other solution in my life, what I experienced was restlessness and irritability and discontentment. Um, <clears throat> I didn't seem to be able to handle life on a day-to-day basis without drinking. Um, I just couldn't seem to cope. For whatever reason, didn't have anything to do with the way I was brought up, didn't have anything to do with the friends that I had, 
the girlfriend I had, the job that I had, or anything like that. I just seemed to be spiritually maladjusted. And, and, and the less I drank and the more I tried to stay away from alcohol, the more restless and irritable and discontented I became. And the only thing that seemed to work was, was a drink. And I would experience a sense of ease and comfort from picking up that drink. But with an alcoholic who's got a craving for alcohol, I don't pick up a drink, you know? I mean, my, my, the story of my last drunk is that, <clears throat> is that I'm living in a house down in Cincinnati uh, where I'm subletting a room. I'm at a place where I, where I, where I work jobs for, for cash under the table, that jobs that pay me cash at the end of the day so I can go drink when I get off work. Um, <clears throat> I sublet rooms because I can't sign my name really to any kind of documents because utility companies really don't want to have anything to do with me anymore because I've bailed and uh, I've, I've established a pattern of leaving places before the landlords were really ready for me to leave. Um, although they weren't necessarily unhappy to see me go. <laughs> they would have just liked to have had some warning. <clears throat> I, I, I would refer to it as pulling a Baltimore Colts, if you remember the Baltimore Colts left Baltimore in the middle of the night and went to Indianapolis. And, and that's what I would refer to my moving pattern. Let's pull the Baltimore Colts tonight, guys, and, and, and go. My mother, by this point in time, is keeping my phone numbers on post-it notes just because they change a lot. <clears throat> so my life's a little bit unmanageable. And I'm living in, I'm subletting a room in this house with these guys. And the guys are guys that I met in the bar, of course. Um, because where else am I going to meet people? I'm trying to get back into school. I'm on my fourth school and my, my, my fifth attempt at going to school. I've been in and out of college for, <clears throat> well, if it was 89, good God. I've been in and out of college for five and a half years and I was still a freshman. Um, <laughs> I joined the Army National Guard in hopes that they would give me discipline and, and all that stuff, along with paying my tuition. Um, None of that seemed to work, really. I just found out I was able to puke in formation as well as <laughs> anywhere else. Um, <clears throat> so it's a Thursday night, and, and the guys that I live with are going to go out that night. And they're going to go to the bar, and they're going to come in at 11, because that's what they do. They go out to the bar about 8, and they, go, and they see the clock says 11, and they go home. And some of you in this room can probably identify with that, and some of you in this room probably feel sorry for people like that. And... And I, and I said, no, I'm not going to go because I know what happens when I go. I know what happens when I go. And I'm trying to start school again. It's early January. It's a new quarter down at UC. And, and I'm going to start school, and it's going to be different this time. Um, but it's Thursday night, and we're coming off Christmas break, and I really haven't seen a lot of these people for a while. Um, there's a, there are a lot of stories, really, I guess I could tell you. <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> But we'll stick with we'll stick with this. So I'm standing at the foot of the stairs. And I can still see my, my my little room is up here, and then I've got books. I actually bought books for this quarter, and I've got stuff I could do. And and the door's there, and I'm and I'm being and, and a tug of war is going on with my will. And uh, it's it's just go to the bar, just go on out and see people. No, it's go up, just do the right thing, go up the stairs and, and go study. Just go and and it goes on for I don't know how long, probably all of 15 seconds, and. <clears throat> and I'm out the door. I, I sell myself on the lie. I believe the lie that gets me out the door of the house and to the bar that I'll just go up and see who's there, but I won't drink. And that's the lie that I believe. That's the, that's the insane thought that I believe that, that allows me to leave the house. 
I'll just leave. I'll just go, but I won't drink. And that, that's enough for me to buy into to go out the door and, and, and go to the bar. And before I, and, and, and I get to the bar, and before I know it, and, and this is why I believe in strange mental blank spots, before I know it, there's a drink in my hand. I wasn't going to drink, but now there's a drink in my hand, so apparently I'm going to drink. Well, I'll just have two. But then I'm going to go back and study. And by the time I have two, that craving kicks in for me. And I can't, I can't walk out of that bar. I can't leave that bar. I've got to stay there because they've still got alcohol. And how can you leave? And they're still open. And nobody's making me leave yet. Um, and so 11 o'clock rolls around and my friends come to me and they say, Pat, it's 11 and we're going home. And I say, I'll see you later. You know, and, uh, and a bunch of other things that I don't want to do that night, I do. Uh, there's somebody there. I'm not going to end up with her tonight. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stay in these bars till closed tonight. I'm not going to run around the streets of Clifton trying to close every bar tonight. And this is all the stuff that I do. And I get in a car blind drunk and I drive this poor person home. And, and I come out of a blackout a few hours later, someplace I didn't want to be with somebody I didn't want to be doing something I didn't want to be doing. Um, and I know. And at that moment, I know that people are going to start to get hurt, that there's nothing I can do to stop this, that it's only going to get worse. And that it's Friday now, and I'll be drunk tonight because I can't stop myself from getting drunk. So the only thing I can think of to do with my keen alcoholic mind is, is to get in my truck that I've lied to my mother to get because um, I promised I'd come visit if she got me a truck. Uh and I probably intended to and wanted to, but I couldn't pull that off, you know. Um, and I get in the truck and I, and I drive back up here to Dayton um, to find the only guy that I can think of to talk to. And he's this, this chaplain at, the, at, a, at a hospital here in town. And he had uh, he'd become a great friend of our family some years back um, when, when my father, who was, who was an alcoholic, um, and got to a place where he couldn't imagine life with or without it. Um, and, and, and he killed himself. And which gave me the evidence, if I needed it, really, that alcoholism is a deadly thing. Um, and which, of course, convinced me that I couldn't be alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> but I got to know this chaplain a little bit, and I knew his name, at least, and where he worked. And, and he was the only guy I could think of that I could go and talk to and tell, basically, that I need to be locked up in your hospital in the psych ward because I seem to be crazy. I seem to do things I don't want to do, and I don't seem to be able to stop myself from doing them. And if you don't lock me up today, I'll be drunk tonight, and I don't want to be drunk anymore. And, and that's, that's where I get. That's where I get it at, at age 23 with, with all my, my intelligence and all my wit and all my charm. That's, that's where I get is, is running up and down the halls of this hospital trying to find this guy um, so that maybe, maybe he'll help me get committed to his psych ward so that maybe I won't have to drink that night. Um, that's, that's me, and that's drinking. That's where I go. Um, for some reason, I, you know, I did find that man, um, and I did get to talk to him. And he said he thought maybe there's somebody else that I need to talk to. Uh, and that turned out to be the guy at the, at the treatment center at the hospital. And, and the cool thing of that was that this guy had a, had a list of questions that he asked anybody who came to talk to him about the stuff I was talking to him about. He had a list of 20 yes or no questions. Um, <clears throat> regarding me and drinking in my life. 
and, it, and, and he didn't pull it out of the Pat McNulty file. I mean, it was just the file that he had for anybody who would come to see him. And, and he asked, you know, these 20 questions. If you answer yes to one, you might have a problem with alcohol. If you answer yes to two, you, you, you probably have a problem with alcohol. If you answer yes to three of these 20 questions, you need to get some help. You've got a problem with alcohol. And I answered yes to 19 of the 20 questions. So this was a test I've been studying my whole life for. You know, I just I didn't know it. Um, and there, and, a, and a sense of relief came over me when 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 we did that because. I, I, as much as I never wanted to be an alcoholic, um, I, I, because I couldn't be alcoholic, I, I was just unique. I was the only person living the way I was living. Nobody else was doing the stuff I was doing. I was just so convinced that nobody would ever understand. And the fact that this guy had this list of these questions and he just had them sitting there and he was just ready to ask anybody that came through, not just me, it just it knocked away at that uniqueness. It just made me not so alone. Um, a guy we talked for quite a while, and and uh, and 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 he suggested that I go to an outpatient treatment center, and and that was based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd never heard 12 steps before. I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, I went left there. I went to my mom's house. My mom was out of town. Uh, my brother was there, and. Uh, my brother is two years younger than me, and I, I'd always hoped to be a good role model to my brother. Um, that, you know, some, I was an example to my brother, but I wasn't necessarily a good role model to my brother. Um, and I walked in the door, and he said, what do you want? Not how are you? How can I help? What's going on? How's it going today? What do you want? Because by that point in time, that's kind of, you know, that's really about the way you ought to greet me. What do you want? Because if I'm showing up, I'm probably there because I want to take something from you. Um, and I told him what I was doing, that I'd been to the hospital. That I was trying to get committed and get locked up and get some help to stop drinking <clears throat> because it had gotten too bad. And, and my little brother looked at me um, and he said, can't you stop on your own? And I looked back. I said, no, I can't stop on my own. I've been trying to stop on my own for four years. I've been trying to control and to stop. Never tried to control. Trying to stop my drinking, because I can't control my drinking. But trying to stop drinking on my own for at least four years before that day. And I knew I couldn't stop on my own. And, and I didn't know at the time what a gift that was, but that was a gift. Um, I didn't know if anybody could help me stop, but I knew I couldn't stop on my own. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really grateful that I had that experience to get to... to, to, to have my brother ask me that and have that be my answer. Not say, well, I don't know, maybe I could. You know. Um, so from there, for whatever reason, I had the willingness to do what this man had asked me to do. And I went back to Cincinnati and I, I called around and I asked and I got sent into a treatment center. And, and from there, the, the, I learned a couple things. I learned a little bit more about alcoholism. I learned about spirituality. I learned a definition of spirituality that that sticks with me today. Um, they sat there and talked about spirituality. And as I sat in my outpatient treatment center, it became more and more apparent to me that I was the smartest guy in the room. And I should understand a lot of what's going on here. But as they would say this throughout this word spirituality, I just knew more and more that I didn't know what they were talking about. And we'd, we'd grown up going to church. I'd sat in church a lot. Um, I stuck through most of the services all the way most of the time. And... But I didn't know what 
spiritual, there seemed to be a difference between religion and spirituality, and I couldn't get my brain around it. And I asked, I said, what is spirituality? And they were waiting for a sucker like me to ask. <clears throat> and they, they held up a drawing, and it was, it was a lot of little circles all around, in, and, and they were all had lines drawn in to the middle where there was a big circle. And they said, all these little circles are your life, Pat, your friendships and your family and the things that mean anything to you. And I wouldn't have very many circles, of course, but some people might. Um, <clears throat> and they said at the center of that circle is spirituality. And they said spirituality is what connects you to all these other things that mean anything in your life, to the people that mean anything in your life. To anything that means anything, spirituality is what connects you to them. And I thought, I am. I'm doomed because I'm not connected to anything and I don't even know what it is. Um, and, I, and I knew, so I knew I better find out about this spirituality thing. The other great gift that treatment gave me was they sent me to Alcoholics Anonymous two nights a week. I said, you got to go to two meetings a week and go to treatment three, three, three nights a week. And then I sat at home Friday night and Saturday night because I knew you just couldn't go out on a Friday night or Saturday night if you weren't drinking because you'd get struck drunk. I didn't understand they had AA meetings on Friday nights and Saturday nights when I first got sober. Um, but I showed up to my first AA meeting at the uh, the Oak Street Clubhouse down in Cincinnati, and uh, and I and I walked in there because I'd been told I had to go to two AA meetings a week. I actually went someplace else for my first AA meeting, and there was in in the meeting schedule that said there was a meeting here, and there was no meeting there. Uh, it's my first introduction to AA. Um, but I seemed to be at least willing to go to, to these two AA meetings a week to find out. So I went to this Oak Street Clubhouse down in Cincinnati. And, and, and you walk up to the Oak Street Clubhouse, and it's an old Victorian house that looks like the Adams Family house from the outside with, with motorcycles parked out front. Um, and, uh, and, it's a one, and I know it today it's a wonderful place. But, but that's what it seemed like walking up as a new guy all by yourself, not knowing what you're getting into. And I walked in, and it was a crowded room, and it was a smoky room, and the people in there were seemed kind of ugly, and I didn't really want to be around them. And, and I spotted a guy from treatment sitting there, and there was a chair next to him, of course, and, and I sat down next to him. And, and they started their meeting off, and they did their prayer, and they, they asked if there was anybody here for their very first AA meeting. And I looked at this guy, and he looked at me, and I thought, I'm not telling you people anything. And that's the way I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I'll sit in your meeting and I'll listen to your stuff, but I'm not giving you any information. Because I don't really understand why I'm here, except that I've been sent here. So the meeting goes on and this guy sits up in the front and he smokes and he sweats and he talks and he bobs his leg all around and he tells some story. And, uh, and they close their meeting and everybody gets up and they hold hands and they say a prayer. And, and uh, whew, that's one. I got one down. <clears throat> and I go to head out and, and a guy who I don't know who he is, he stuck his hand out and he... He said, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I, and I said, hi, I'm Pat, and I'm leaving. <laughs> and that was, it was me and Alcoholics Anonymous. Glad to be here. Um, <clears throat> I just didn't understand. I didn't understand, but, but somebody had said I had to go, and that was enough for me. Um, yeah, I didn't feel like home at last. You know, I didn't walk into rooms and think it was all going to be okay now. I didn't know. I mean, I was basically doing treatment and showing up at these AA meetings, figuring I'll probably get drunk again, and then maybe they'll lock me up. But for now, I'll show up at your AA meetings, and I'll show up at treatment or whatever. <clears throat> and that was pretty much the way I came in, because I always got drunk eventually. I always did. Um, no matter what my intentions were, I always got drunk. 
But I started to show up and I started to hear more and I started to identify and I started to believe that there were people in those rooms who actually had experience of living like I used to live and not having to live that way now and that they were happy about the fact that they didn't drink and that their lives seemed to be getting better and that they had a sense of peace and, 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 and happiness um, that I didn't know anything about. Um, and I started to just think that maybe, maybe something here could work for me. Um, I was, like I said, I was 23 when I got sober. Um, I was going to school. I found meetings on campus at, at the University of Cincinnati. And that was, that was cool. I, I sat in meetings with these guys who were younger than me because they were doing school like the traditional way. And, <clears throat> and who claimed they were alcoholic and who'd been sober for a year or, or, or more. You know, and seemed to be happy about that whole deal. And it wasn't like anybody was sitting in the rooms of these AA meetings during the school day complaining about how hard it was to be a sober alcoholic on campus. You know, the only people who ever said that were people who hadn't done it. You know, <laughs> um, those of us who were living sober on a, on, a, on a campus understood it was a lot easier to be sober on a campus for us than it was to be drunk on a campus. Um, I actually had a chance to show up on campus when I was sober. Um, and I showed up enough that, that I ended up actually graduating from college because I did what I started to find in Alcoholics Anonymous. I showed up. These guys told me about other meetings, told me about things that were coming up. They told me about conferences. They said, you ought to go here, you ought to go there. And I didn't know enough to say, uh, I'm not going there. I just, if you said you ought to go there, I, okay, I would at least show up. I wouldn't ask anybody to take me. I wouldn't tell anybody I was going to go. I would show up on my own and I would leave on my own, but I would show up. Um, I, I, I'll always remember... Uh, at CINCIPOD, Cincinnati Conference of Young People in AA, being told I should go there uh, on was this one night. And, and, uh, and some of the guys, some of my old friends from up here had called and, and said that, that they were coming down, some of my old drinking buddies. They were coming down and they were going across the river down to northern Kentucky to a, oh, a place that had you know mechanical bulls and all sorts of good fun stuff. And, and uh, they were going to go have a good time and they had called to see if I wanted to join them. And by then I'd probably been sober a month or a month and a half and why not? Why not? Okay. But there's this thing that these guys have told me I need to go to, this Cincy Pot thing. So I'm going to go there first, and then I'll meet you guys later. <clears throat> you know, and if I had met those guys later, <laughs> you wouldn't have me here tonight speaking. <laughs> I have been on that bowl. Oh, my God. <clears throat> or, yeah, under that bowl. Um, I walk into this place, and, 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 and I'm so clueless. I'm sure there had been a probably a big-time AA speaker at Paw that Saturday night that, that I was supposed to go here. But I was so out of it, I just showed up whenever, and it was obviously after because the dance was going on. And there's these young people in a mosh pit throwing down and, and flying all around, and I'm walking around this room going, is this the right place? Could this possibly be the right place? And I take a big lap around this big room, and, <clears throat> and I don't see anybody I know. And I say, well, I'll take one more lap and see if there's anybody here I know, and if there's not, then I'll go hook up with those guys. And I walk around one more time, and, and, and as I'm coming around from my, the last corner, I, I, I see my friend Matthew, who, uh, who I've known since middle school. And he says, dude, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't know. And, you know, I don't know. Um, and he's got some hot blonde girl running around with him. He says, hey, this is my sponsor. And I said, cool. And... Uh, 
It's I followed Matthew, who was following her, and we just ran around that night, you know. And that's, you know, that's God doing for me what I can't do for myself, you know. And 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 we had fun. We had fun, and I was sober, and I didn't think about the fact that I was having fun, and I was sober. I just thought about I was having fun, and this might be okay. This might be okay. Um, there were a lot of young people having a good time, and that might be all right. It might be all right. Um, and I might have fun and not end up hurting anybody at the end of the night. You know, well, that'd be cool. That'd be different. I had fun a lot when I drank, but somebody always got hurt eventually. Um, <clears throat> and and so I, that's what I started to experience. And and I showed up more and more at AA, and, and I got told to get a sponsor, and, and, and I got a sponsor because I wanted you to quit telling me to get a sponsor. <clears throat> I thought if I got one, then I could answer, yes, I got one. Leave me alone. Um, but this sponsor thought it was his business to stick his nose in my business. And his sponsor had taken him through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had learned to work the steps that way. And 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 he was involved in service in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he took me around a lot of places. He didn't really take me around. He just did a lot of stuff, and I, I happened to be willing to ask him where he was going and what he was doing. That was really the way it, it, it worked. I mean, he was going to go. He was just going to go. And, and if I wanted to go, I should find out where he was going. Um... <clears throat> And that guy helped me a lot. You know, he, he shared his he shared his fourth step and how he did a fourth step and demonstrated to me how to do a fourth step. And he heard my first fifth step and um I don't wanna I don't know, it and 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 I did that fifth step and I and I was incredibly freed by that. I thought that, you know, I experienced a sense of relief from doing that first fifth step. I experienced so much relief in fact that I really didn't feel it was necessary to go on and do any more steps. Um <clears throat> it's okay now, we got all that out. And I spent the next year and a half being an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually didn't think so. I mean, really, that's what I did. Um, <clears throat> until it got pretty bad and uh, sober, just stayed sober, but was just running around Alcoholics Anonymous, involved in a lot of activity, um, and, and going off and doing jail meetings and going to psych wards and treatment centers and all sorts of stuff and getting involved in a lot of good stuff, but at the same time not really being accountable to anybody. Um, and, and that really didn't, those, that didn't work. It wasn't the full package. Um, and one night, I'm over hanging out with these guys, and this guy t- talks about something that he did when he was drinking that was so much worse and more disgusting than anything I even contemplated doing just to get his next drink. And then he laughed about it. You know? He said he did this terrible thing, and then he laughed about what he did. And it, he was free of it. It didn't hold any power over him. And I was sitting there holding secrets about stuff I was doing sober that I wasn't telling anybody about and I wasn't free of. And I thought, I need that guy's help. Um, and, and I asked him and I begged him to, will you sponsor me, please? I'm not doing anything and I'm, I'm getting miserable sober and I don't like when I get miserable sober because something's got to change. Um, and that guy took me, that guy really got me involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and in the book and in service and, 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 and just, I don't know, he just, he just, just kicked my butt right through, right through the steps is what he did, um, and it was just all you know, no you know, it was no messing around. It was a lot of business, and and uh, he he would magically call me at times when there was no reason for him to call me. I'm sitting around in my self pity one day, and I'm looking at all the stuff that I've got in this house that I'm renting, <clears throat> thinking if I sold it all that maybe I could get about five hundred dollars for everything, and maybe I could buy a bus ticket someplace. And get the heck out of here. And the phone rings. And it's John. And he says, did you call me? <laughs> I was thinking about it. You know? 
You know, but he called and it's like, what's going on? And I told him, okay, well, you know, come on over and <clears throat> let's go. You know, I was getting ready to go to jail and why don't you come with me? And, and that's what we did. Um, <clears throat> and that's the way that God works in my life. I mean, God just shows up and, and, and just carries me mysteriously in, in strange ways. And I can't explain that. And, um, after being sober a few years, probably three years, it, <clears throat> it wasn't enough to come home and hang out with mom and hang out with my brother and, uh, and just think that everybody ought to be happy I'm not drinking anymore, you know? That was apparently not working, and, and, and it wasn't working to the point that I really was not wanting to come home anymore uh, because I hadn't, I hadn't made amends to my mom. I hadn't made amends to my brother. I hadn't cleared any of that up. Just basic, you know, just claiming responsibility for, for what I had done. Um, so because, because I'm a guy who's motivated by, by pain, because circumstances make me willing to do anything, um, <clears throat> I wasn't willing to, to avoid my mother and my brother any longer. So I was willing to go and make amends. You know, I don't do any of this stuff out of virtue. I do this stuff because I do this stuff because because my condition seems to get in the way of my being able to live a life. Um, <clears throat> that's what seems to happen to me. So I went up and I and I made amends to my mother and I made amends to my brother and, and they were received better than they probably should have been. Um, and a short time after that I, I managed to graduate from college and, and my big plan for after graduating from college is I'm going to keep making sandwiches at the restaurant where I've been making sandwiches and keep going to AA and hanging out and see what happens. Those are my big plans for the future. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. And, and, if, and a few months after graduating, my brother comes down to Cincinnati and says, hey, I'm going to move out, which to me, he was 25. It was time. Um, I'm going to rent a place. Would you like to come to Dayton and, 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 and be my roommate? Wow. Would I? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really doing anything. Let me go give two weeks' notice. Um, <clears throat> you know? and, uh, and so, yeah, so I had the opportunity to, to get to come up to Dayton um, after being sober in Cincinnati for just about, just under four years. Um, I moved to Dayton and, and, and rented a house not too far from here uh, with, with my brother and another guy that, that we grew up with. You know? and, and for a year and a half or so, we got to be roommates. And, uh, you know, I got to be a roommate that actually contributed in the house. I got to demonstrate that to my brother, that, that I can be a contributing member of a, of a household, of his household, uh, which he had not really experienced that with me ever before, of me being a contributing member of any household he lived in. Um, and that was just, that was wonderful. And, 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 and we have a terrific relationship. We, you know, I mean, he is my little brother, and, and, I, and I love him to death, and he's, you know, he's, he's godfather to, to my first daughter, and he was best man at my wedding, and, and, and I'm godfather to his first daughter, and I was best man at his wedding. And, uh, and about the time he was getting married, he asked me about, <clears throat> about my attendance at AA, and, and would I need to continue doing that, and, and do I still get something out of that, and whatever, because he doesn't understand, and he doesn't have to understand. And I said, well, I said, you're getting married, and you've asked me to be your best man. I said, are you worried about me keeping any of the commitments that you've asked me to fulfill? And he said, well, no, not really. I feel pretty good about it. I said, well, I believe if I didn't continue to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you would have reason to be concerned about my ability to fulfill the commitments that you've asked me to fulfill. (laughs) So I'm going to keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous. It seems to help. Um, I came up to Dayton, and, and, and my plan was to come up for about a year, and then I was going to go west which is ironic now. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to go to Montana and I was going to jump out of planes and fight forest fires because I've only got one bad knee. Uh, but that was the deal. I was going to live with my brother and have a little quality time with the family and then I was going to disappear. Um, 
And, of course, I met a girl. And, uh, you know, I'd gotten a job because that's what I needed to do to be a contributing member of, the, of that household. And, and, and I, met a, I met this young lady at this, at this job, and, and, and I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever forget the first time I saw her, you know. Um, she just stood out. Um, and uh, within a short time, we were going to lunch together, and then, and then we went to a concert together. Um, we went to a concert with uh, down. It was down in Lexington, and we went with a buddy of mine from AA, and a buddy and one of his friends. And the four of us went to the show. And, and at intermission of the show, this is like our first date. My friend Greg turns to me and says, "Did you tell her you're in AA?" <laughs> Why would I do that? <clears throat> I mean, and he says, "Well, he says, you know, when I went to Salt Lake City." I got out there and I was on my own and, and I started dating women out there and nobody really knew who I was and I didn't tell them that I was in AA and eventually I drank. And I said, well, I don't want to go to Salt Lake City. Uh, you know. So I said, fine. And, uh, and I had this truck that didn't have a radio and so we get in the truck after the show and we got from Lexington to Dayton anyways. So let's talk about me. Um, and I told her I was in Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, you know, I don't know if you know anything about this deal, but I'm in AA. And so I told her about it and that it was, you know, really important to me that, that, uh, that she knows that I'm in AA because I really don't want to get drunk. That's why it's important to me that she knows I'm in AA because I believe, I believed Greg. When Greg told me that, that he got drunk because he started keeping secrets, I believe that I'm like Greg. And I believe if I start keeping secrets, I'll get drunk. So I don't want to get drunk. So not out of virtue, but because I really don't want to get drunk. I told Claire I was in AA. Um, and she told me later that that actually made a big impression on her that I was so willing to be honest. And again, my, 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 my willingness to avoid pain was mistaken for virtue. <laughs> um, I left my home group Friday, a week ago, Friday night. I'd gotten there early and I'd, I'd helped set up and, uh, and I'd stuck around late and I'd helped clean up. And this young girl who was leading the meeting that night, said, thanks, Pat, you're a nice guy. And I said, well, I'm not really a nice guy. I'm willing, you know. I'm willing to help out in Alcoholics Anonymous. And sometimes my willingness gets mistaken for niceness. At the same time, sometimes I'm not willing. And my unwillingness gets mistaken for meanness. When I'm really just unwilling, I'm not mean. Some days I'm willing and some days I'm not willing. Um, You know, and that day I was willing and she thought I was nice. And I just had to explain to her I'm not really... A nice guy. <laughs> just, just other people have demonstrated what you do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and those people have been positive role models for me. Claire and I got married. I got married. Sober and married. That was a good deal. Um, and we had a bunch of AA people at our wedding, and it was a wonderful thing. Um, I actually went to her folks' house and talked to her parents about, and told them ahead of time, I'd like to ask your daughter to marry me. Where that came from, you know, I don't know. I've probably heard somebody in AA talk about that was the right thing to do. Uh, and her father actually said to me, we'd be honored to have you for a son-in-law, you know. Um, and I hold that over his head to this day. <laughs> you know, you said you'd be honored. Um, I didn't know what the competition was or anything. Um, and, and Claire and I have been married for, uh, for 11 and a half years. And, uh, and, and AA uh, has always been at the, at the center of our, of our marriage, you know. 
we got married in her church, and we, the, the priest made it very clear that that our wedding, our marriage, our marriage needed to be a three-being <clears throat> entity. You know, had to be the two of us and God. Had to be at the center of our marriage. Uh, and and we were already on our way to practicing that because after I told her that I was in AA, it freed me up to invite her to come to AA with me. Uh, <clears throat> here in Dayton, you all are, are blessed on on Saturday nights. They have a meeting called the ODAC group that meets the Kettering Rec Center. As far as I know, it still meets the Kettering Rec Center on Saturday nights at 7.30 where it's an open AA meeting that, in, that welcomes Al-Anon participation. And there are couples there who've been going to that meeting for a long time and who've got a lot of experience, <clears throat> happy experience and tough experience and sober experience and recovering experience where there are uh, couples who, who do this deal together uh, and support one another. And Claire and I started doing that before we ever got married. And... There are a couple of weekend retreats that take place uh, that we started taking part in before we ever got married. Um, you know, there was the, the weekend of hope, which I've been told is, is not going on right now. And there's the family afterward weekend. And, and we got involved in going to those things early on and, and made it a part. Her church asked us to do some things in order to get ready to get married. And I said, well, it's not asking any specific things, but there are some things that these couples who've been married for a while and seem to like being married do. Why don't we go with them? And see what they do. So, so a lot of you people who are in this room tonight, you know, sponsored our marriage, and 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 we owe a lot to to you all that we have the solid marriage that we have, and we've needed to have a solid marriage. Um, <clears throat> and we have two beautiful daughters. Uh, we decided when we got married that we weren't sure if we wanted to have children. Uh, we thought we'd like to be married. That seemed like a good idea, but I don't know if I like you that much. So why don't we wait five years? Before we decide to have children. See if we like each other. See if we like being married. And then let's look into having kids. And somehow or another we stuck to that plan. And in five years it seemed like we were doing okay. And let's have kids. And we have two daughters, Teresa and Sylvia, who are, who are now five and three. And I have a picture with me if you want to see them later. Um, I could have had a poster blown up. Um, and they're just, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Um, they're smarter than me. And, and, and they're they're just They've got me wrapped around their pinkies, you know. That's just all there is to it. And I love, I love being the dad of two little girls. I just, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to get to be a sober parent. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the kind of a drunk who can hold on, who could pull off marrying somebody, who could pull off starting a career. And, and you'll hear, I'm sure, some of that from somebody who will talk tonight. Uh, but I'm not the kind of drunk who can pull off a family and a career and drink. I can't fool anybody enough to do all that stuff. So I'm, and I'm so grateful that, that I was at a place where I was sure I'd be dead before I was 30. Um, and so that I've gotten to experience becoming a, a, a husband and becoming a father uh, as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous with, with good examples all around me. Um, there have been all kinds of opportunities that have come along in the past year, two years. Rob, has it been two years? I don't know. <laughs> Rob keeps tabs on, on my life for me, um, which is why he goes to Al-Anon. Um, I had an opportunity to take part in starting a new business. And, uh, and because I didn't do some things right and, and things didn't work out very well in that new business. Um, and in a very short time, the business failed. Uh, and so I'll... We, Claire was invited in all the discussions about the business. <clears throat> Doug probably should have been invited into more of the discussions about the business. <laughs> Might have cleared up some stuff. Um, 
But I, rem I remember that we sat having lunch and talking about the business and the fear being, well, what if it fails? What are you going to do? And Claire said, and Claire's, Claire's a very impressive person. And Claire said, Pat, we'll find another job if this doesn't work out. I said, there you go. I'll find another job. <clears throat> well, the business didn't work out, and Pat had to find another job. <laughs> Uh, and I couldn't find one in Dayton, and Claire couldn't find one in Dayton, and, and uh, we ended up moving to Oklahoma. Now, I'd been involved in this conference for a long time, not, you know, for, since it started, and one year I got to be the program chair of this conference, um, and I got to invite the speakers to come and speak at this conference, and, uh, and two of the people that I invited were, were Susan and her husband, David, to come and talk, and, and they're from Oklahoma. They're from Tulsa. Um, and and we've heard a lot of different speakers at this conference, and I've been touched by all of them. But when David spoke, there was just something about when David spoke that touched me and made me want to move my feet. Uh, and he and and we hung out with him most of that day, and he talked about this this big book, this men's big book retreat that they do outside of Tulsa. And it just sounded I don't know, there's just something about David. It was like it's like he was like I dare you to come out, you know? I why don't you? And and uh, and so I okay. And so I talked to Doug and a couple of the other guys and, and, and said, let's go to Tulsa and let's check out and see what these guys do. And, and I, haven't, I haven't responded to anybody else that way, but for some reason I did. And we went, and I was very impressed with what we saw there. It made a huge impression on me. Um, in fact, we came back here and started our own smaller, lesser version of that because flying out to Oklahoma every year wasn't probably going to work. So we started our own thing at the Monday Night Bellbrook Group, and it's pretty cool, and I enjoy being a part of that. Um, so then I get this job, and, and I look, and, I, and the place I'm going to go to work is in Oklahoma. And the only people I know in the whole state of Oklahoma are David and Susan. Um, and, and the office is, is in a place where I could live in Oklahoma City or I could live in Tulsa. It didn't really matter because the office was in the middle of nowhere, and I wasn't going to live there. Um, I end up trying Oklahoma City first because I just thought, well, that's in the center of the state, and I'm going to work the whole state. But it just didn't feel right. That's all I can say is it just didn't feel right. And, and so I had kept, I had called, as soon as I knew I was going to Oklahoma, I had called David and Susan's house and left some messages and talked to them and said I was coming out. don't know if they even remembered who I was. But just said, I'm coming out and, and I look forward to seeing you. And if there's anybody you know out there, you can put me in touch with or whatever. So I did some of the footwork so that somebody in Oklahoma would know that I was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So that maybe I could hook up with somebody. Um, I tried... Oklahoma City for a week, and like I say, it just didn't feel right, and so I went to Tulsa, and, um, and I settled in there, and uh, and in Tulsa, I found the Going to Anlangs group. Uh, the Going to Anlangs group meets in Tulsa on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday night at 8 o'clock. You should probably be there at 7.30, because that's when the fun starts. Um, they're a very committed Alcoholics Anonymous group with an Al-Anon group in the same building and with child care in the same room, in the same building. Um, and the members are very active and take take part a lot. Um, and there's way too much to tell. <laughs> but those people picked me and my family up. <laughs> okay? I mean, every time I called and every time I asked, they were there. And they just picked us up and they just, they loved us. And they welcomed us into their fold as much as I felt like. I'd never measure up, and I can't. And, and, and you know, I was there a week, and I, t I came to Dave, and I said, Dave, I need you to, sp I need you to be my sponsor. Right? You know, um, I couldn't have, a, I couldn't do the long distance sponsorship thing, and I, and and Dave, it was just obvious. Dave had to be my sponsor. 
Um, and every time I, you know, I, I talk to Dave and I say, I'm never, I just don't believe I can do what you guys do. I consider myself to be a pretty active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I consider myself to be pretty involved. And these guys left me in their dust all the time. I mean, they're just, because they're committed to Alcoholics Anonymous, because of the examples in front of them. Um, and, and my girls wanted to go to the meetings, you know. We had done that here on Friday nights. We had an AA and an Al-Anon meeting and, and, and an Alateen meeting. And if your kids were too small to go to the Alateen meeting, bring them into our meeting and just let them run around. And we're not going to tell them to be quiet. Just let them come in. And at the Going to Lengths group, they, they set up and the members you know, took turns staffing the child care room so that nobody ever had to say, well, I couldn't get a sitter, so I couldn't get to the meeting. Um, and my girls, you know, they want to go to meetings. They want to go meet their friends. They made their friends, and, and Claire made her friends, and I made my friends, and, and that was our, those were our friends. And, and, and on, on uh, Saturday night's speaker night meeting, and, and you always got dressed up to go to the meeting a little bit. I mean, you always looked respectable. I learned that early on. You wear, you, you wear nice pants, you wear nice shoes, you wear a shirt with a collar when you go to the meeting. Out of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. So maybe the new guy can tell that you're not a new guy, too. And maybe you're somebody he wants to talk to. <laughs> you know? Um, and on Saturday night, she dressed up even a little bit nicer. And one Saturday night, and I was always in a hurry to try and get to the meeting because I, I didn't want to be the last one there. I always wanted to be there before 7.30. It was just important to me to try to be there because that's what they did, and I wanted to do what they did. And, uh, and I'm hurried around, and I got dressed up to go to the Saturday night meeting. And Teresa and Sylvia are going to go. And Teresa says, I want to change clothes before we go. I said, honey, we're running late. We've got to get going. And she says, you got to get dressed up for your meeting. I want to get dressed up for the meeting, too. You know? Yeah, she's five. Um, you know, and I knew that she's paying attention to what I'm doing. She's paying attention to what I'm doing. Um, and through all the stuff in the past couple of years, you know, that's what Doug told me. You know, you, you've got to keep showing up, Pat, because people are watching to see. What do you do, hot shot, when you've been sober 15 or 16 or 17 years and, and things start not to go so well? Do you keep showing up at Alcoholics Anonymous and do you keep being a service to people? Or do you hide out and love yourself today and just take care of what you think you need to do? You know? No, you've got to keep showing up. You've got to keep your commitments. You've got to show up for the guys you said you'd show up for. It doesn't, we don't really care how you feel too much. We just want to know what you're doing. You know, we want to know what you're doing. We want to see you putting your feet into action. And that's what that's what people in Alcoholics Anonymous have demonstrated for me. And and we were in Oklahoma for a while, and I was just starting to feel like we fit in, and then I got offered a chance to move to Kansas City. The coolest part about being in Oklahoma was I went to Dave's house to share this inventory that he asked me to write, and the house across the street from him was for sale. And they live in a great neighborhood and a gorgeous house. And I thought, man, I wonder. And, uh... And so I, I just, I thought I'd look, we had to buy a house anyways. And I called Doug up. I said, Doug, what would you say if I told you I was going to buy the house across the street from you? Well, I'd be thrilled. Well, of course, Doug would be thrilled. I mean, he knows me and we've been together and worked. And I called Dave up and I said, Dave, what would you say if I wanted to buy the house across the street from you? I don't care. <laughs> that's what you want to do. That's, you know, okay. <laughs> um, and that's the difference between Dave and Doug. Um, well, by God, we bought the house across the street from Dave and Susan, you know. And we were surrounded by Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we were just surrounded by it, and that was a wonderful thing. And then the opportunity came to go to Kansas City, and I can't tell you much about how that's all sorting out. I've got a home group. I've got a sponsor. Um, I went to a business meeting the first month there. This woman was talking about doing corrections work. I started just to share my experience, trying to convince her why she ought to do it. Before you knew it, I was elected to be the corrections guy from the group. 
Then it turns out the district needed a guy to be the corrections guy. They called and said, would you be the district corrections guy? And I made it clear to the guy I wasn't very impressed. I said, you know, I just moved into town. You've got this district that's been here forever. If the best you can do is find a guy that just showed up in town to be your district corrections chair, then, yeah, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> you know, but but this is what you're getting. I don't know anybody. I don't know where anything is. But I'm, by golly, I'm in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I'm in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, my, and my family's still together, you know, and my girls want to know when are they going to get to go to a meeting? When are they going to get to go to a meeting? Because in Kansas, AAs and Al-Anons don't mix. And there's not the family recovery going on there. And, uh, and Claire and I have talked about that. And Claire's not an active member of Al-Anon, but she's always been a supportive, a supportive spouse. And, uh, you know, we're going to find it out. There's a group. There's a group, five or six guys up there, maybe eight. And we, we seem to be fairly enthusiastic about Alcoholics Anonymous. And we seem to think that there's something to family recovery. And so in given time, something will happen. Something will change. And the girls will get a meeting to go to. I got, uh, I got a van load of guys that are ready to go down to Tulsa at the end of March. And we're going to the men's big book in Tulsa, um, you know, from Kansas City. And I've told them, you don't have any idea what you're in for. Uh, <laughs> but I can't wait. I can't wait to go. Um, and I couldn't wait to get here, and I'm sorry that my time's already gone, but we have a wonderful Alateen speaker who's getting ready to speak to us, um, and I can't wait to hear that. I was, was involved with Alateen for a while. Susan is one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm looking forward to hearing her. I don't know our folks at all from Louisville who are here to talk to us. I can't even see you, wherever you are. There they are. Thank you. And, and Gary, I've listened to on tape for a long time and, and, and just always been blown away by his commitment to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I've referred people to Gary, who've moved to Indianapolis. Um, and so I think we're going to have a wonderful time, and I'm so glad you all are here, and let's have a great winter conference. Thank you very much. <laughs>